Hello and welcome to the fourth edition of Blind Squirrel Macro, the pod. This is your Blind Squirrel speaking. This podcast is a companion to our weekly newsletter, which you can find for free at blindsquirrelmacro.com. The letter usually contains graphics, charts, and a multitude of links that I may refer to in this pod. It also contains our portfolio update and a review of our Acorn trade ideas. Each week, I shall be recording an audio version of the feature article from my Monday morning note, which covers one or two current business or finance topics in under 20 minutes. I have not yet mastered audio editing software and so record it in a single take, so please forgive any stumbles. But before we start, a very quick message from Legal. Everything in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is categorically not investment advice. Before making any decisions, for heaven's sakes, don't listen to a cartoon rodent. Talk to a financial advisor. Okay, so we're going to do something slightly different this week. Um, Labor Day weekend has traditionally sounded the starting gun for autumnal capital markets activity, and it looks like the IPO market may be kicking off in earnest after an 18-month hiatus. So instead of stoking excitement about bullish news in the energy and uranium space, I'm going to talk about a tech IPO. The title of this week's edition is The IPO of the House That COVID Built. Last week, we touched on grocery delivery apps briefly as we were being invited by the financial press to marvel at Zepto, India's newest fast grocery business and its newly established unicorn status in the same week that Instacart filed the S1 for its IPO. It's time to pull a little harder on that thread. As you may be aware, IPOs are a bit of a specialist topic for the squirrel. Having worked on literally hundreds of IPOs in the US and internationally since the 1990s, I thought it would be interesting to look under the hood of the Instacart IPO with the eyes of a former practitioner and maybe highlight some of the dark arts in action. There is nothing like a run-up of 39% in the NASDAQ 100 to persuade Wall Street's equity capital markets desks and their venture venture capital paymasters to test the market for initial public offerings. Every investment banker is now clamouring for the accolade of having been the one to reopen the new issue market after the tech wreck of 2022. Plenty of column inches have been spilt on SoftBank's attempt to ride the coattails of NVIDIA with its IPO of ARM semiconductor. There has been less focus on Instacart, the North American grocery delivery business that I like to call the house that COVID built. The squirrel has joked dismissively about Californian dog walking apps in the past and is generally bemused by the blitz-scaling web 2.0 e-commerce models that seem to excel at little more than selling dollar bills for 50 cents. A number of these cash cash incinerating businesses have managed to escape the intravenous drip of cheap capital in private equity land only to be unleashed on the unsuspecting public via SPACs or low free float IPOs. Volatility maven Kai Volatility's Chem Karsan has coined the expression sending money to planet Palo Alto to describe how the cascade of global central bank liquidity since 2008 has found its way to funding the ultra-long duration assets emanating from the Silicon Valley startup world. With front-end yields now above 5%, that party is well and truly over. 2022 saw the unprofitable cohort of public technology stocks taken out behind the woodshed and shot. Most of them are not much more now than the playthings of trading degenerates trying to trigger the latest short squeeze. Many commentators ponder the economic implications of ageing populations in East Asia. 
However, in the world of private assets, the capital well has run dry, and the squirrel now worries that the occupants of Startup Land's Unicorn Stable are now getting, shall we say, a little bit long in the tooth. Which brings us to one of Silicon Valley's 2012 vintage, Instacart. The collapse of Webvan in 2001 was one of the iconic moments of the end of the Web 1.0 hype cycle, and now the subject of business school case studies at Harvard. But, egged on by the likes of McKinsey, bringing e-commerce to grocery shopping has never stopped being the holy grail for internet entrepreneurs. The tamonomics, i.e. the law of large numbers when you look at total addressable markets, are just too sexy. Grocery is a 1.1 trillion industry in the US alone. By the way, I'm trademarking that name Tamonomics if it hasn't already been taken. After Webvan came Home Delivery 2.0. Instacart, DoorDash and Postmates, now Uber's delivery arm, were back within a decade with an asset-light, gig-economy approach to the problem of home delivery, with the latter two focused primarily on restaurant delivery. Instacart avoided the infrastructure investment that was the millstone around the neck of Webvan and the UK's still-surviving just... Ocado. These businesses were just part of the Palo Alto cash-burning noise for eight years until COVID struck. With the pandemic lockdowns of 2020, Postmates suddenly became an essential bolt-on to Uber's mobility business. DoorDash snuck out an exquisitely timed IPO, more on that later, and Instacart all of a sudden found some broad-paced consumer relevance, quadrupling its sales from $5 billion in fiscal year 19 to $20 billion in 2020. The 2020 pandemic transformed the outlook for the delivery apps. Three years on from the pandemic, Instacart has added a brand advertising business to its business mix, but the core business remains transaction revenue from deliveries. I've read the Instacart S1 so that you don't have to. The usual Web 2.0 bullshit bingo is pretty insufferable. AI-powered caper carts, anyone? On the financials, the team at App Economy Insights have, as usual, put together a good visual summary of how Cart's income statement breaks down for the most recent six-month reporting period. 70% of the business is your standard gig economy fare. Note that the Skirrell is no real fan of the employment law arbitrage used at the expense of gig workers. Gig sounds hip, but it's actually pretty rubbish as a job. Apparently, and I quote here, their community of dedicated shoppers who treat every order like their own have flexible earning opportunities enabled by our best-in-class picking technology. The core transaction business looks a lot like Uber's delivery business, but is a fraction of the size. Uber did 6.2% billion dollars in delivery revenue in the first half of this year versus a like-for-like 510 million for Instacart in the same period. In making this observation, I completely recognize that Uber's delivery business operates in multiple geographies. However, Cart's business is not exactly a stellar grower. Gross transaction value was up only 4% year over year, and the industry press is hardly enthusiastic about the forward outlook for online grocery shopping. Really, the biggest problem I have with the transaction business is that it's a very expensive proposition for consumers. You have to imagine that the first whiff of a recession is going to make Cart's customers pretty queasy about wearing the kinds of 20-30% to markups set out by UpgradedHome.com. Also, with Cart shoppers, aka delivery guys, being so dependent on tips, what happens when cash-strapped customers stop being so generous? 
I suspect the company itself will need to dig deep in its own pockets to maintain its supply of gig workers. I also have concerns about CART's increasing customer acquisition cost. Customer marketing expenses, incentives and promotions keep climbing as a percentage of net revenues. The new advertising does, however, have a potential as a point of differentiation and has been growing strongly since 2020 under the leadership of the company's new ex-Facebook CEO. Amazon gives us an idea of what that type of business looks like at scale. Looking at its latest 10Q, I see that Amazon's advertising services business did $37.74 billion of revenue in 2022, growing at 20% plus year over year. It makes a ton of sense for CART to be focusing on this business. Partnering with brands appears to have started well and was presumably a driver behind PepsiCo's $175 million pre-IPO investment in the company. This feels like the business that they really need to grow in order to attract a premium multiple, although I do query whether this business line potentially puts Instacart in conflict with their retail grocer partners, who are, after all, the traditional stewards of the product placement dynamic and who are also quite fond of the margins on their own label brands. Instacart also has a business providing white label technology backend to some independent retailers. There are no numbers for this business that have been broken out in the S1, so you have to assume it's still pretty small. So it's tough to attribute any value to that side of the business at this stage. So what am I supposed to be paying for all of this? Let's take a look at some comparable company multiples. The squirrel has put his old equity capital markets hat on and run some numbers. Comparables, frankly, are pretty thin gruel here. First, you have to kick out the foreign comps. That's Ocado, Deliveroo and Just Eat. They are one, not flattering, and two, no institutions are going to, go into, going to look at them anyway. Then you strip out the weaker rideshare name, i.e. Lyft, and the aspirational multiple but not a really good comp, Airbnb, and you're left with eyeballing Uber and DoorDash. Yes, I said it's not really a precise science. You can give me all the intellectual arguments you want, but the market is a very simple animal when it comes to valuation. Pricing usually comes down to a debate about one multiple. Basically, it looks like the market will bear just about over a three, three and a quarter times multiple of next year's revenues. Cart's sales were $1.4 billion in the six months to June. For range purposes, let's assume that they can annualize that number at the low end with an upside revenue range of between 10 and 40% higher. Using a 2023 EV to sales multiple range of plus or minus 10% around DoorDash's current multiple gives us an enterprise value range for CART of around $11 to $14 billion before, before applying any kind of IPO discount. Apparently, the latest private round valued the business at $13 billion or $38 per share. We do not have enough detail yet on the offer terms, i.e. size, to translate that into a pro forma market cap or share price. Note that the company is already sitting on a few billion dollars of cash before adding any primary proceeds from the offering. So let's talk about the offer structure. Goldman and JP Morgan have taken a safety first approach. They've arranged almost a Hong Kong IPO style offer structure with the $175 million private placement to PepsiCo on, by the way, what looks like exceptionally um, favorable terms for Pepsi and the $400 million cornerstone commitment from Norges Bank, TCV, Sequoia, D1, and Valiant. 
Cornerstone tranches were first deployed for China Mobile's IPO back in 1997 as a means of soaking up stock in large offerings in Hong Kong, where there was a minimum free float requirement that was almost impossible to meet for mega cap IPOs from the Chinese state. The model was copied by PetroChina, Sinopac, and Bank of China, where they also used it as a branding tool for their IPOs. However, US IPOs have no minimum free float requirement. But the IPO market has been effectively shut for the best part of a couple of years. The underwriters are taking out insurance on a minimum level of IPO proceeds for Instacart and giving a clear message to new investors that the existing shareholders and their bankers are going to try their best to ensure that the IPO is a success. To a certain extent, interests are fully aligned. These sponsors have a stable full of other aging unicorns that require a vibrant IPO market for liquidity. But we do have to question whether this unicorn has been fattened up for market or not. This line from the prospectus's financial review jumped out at us. Under the topic of revenue cost optimization, and I quote, we continue to identify and improve efficiencies in areas that negatively impact revenue and gross profit, such as appeasements and refunds, customer incentives and promotions, shopper earnings, and third-party payment processing fees. We have used our data insights and machine learning, naturally, to reduce many of these costs. Just a note from me, um, the company's clearly taking steps to sacrifice customer experience and shopper earnings in order to protect margins ahead of the IPO. The DoorDash IPO is a perfect case study for this fattening up process. It posted triple-digit growth and its first EBITDA positive quarter just in time for its filing in 2020. Growth is now far more pedestrian, and DoorDash has never repeated that profitable quarter trick. DoorDash has ended up like so many other tech uniforms that came before it, not much more than a publicly traded recycler of stock-based compensation. DoorDash's stock-based compensation has averaged almost $150 million per quarter, literally swamping the company's cash flows since going public. Carter's in fact shown some discipline on the stock-based compensation front, They've been paying employees much more in cash recently, but how long will that last for? Bottom line, the squirrel is a bear on Maple Bear Inc., which is the incorporated name for Instacart. And while on the subject of bears, the company provides some charming insight to its existing customers at the back of its prospectus. It, it strikes me that their four chosen customer case studies, a pensioner, a mother on food stamps, a carless Canadian millennial, and a faith-based preschool are not likely to be Instacart's core super users when the North American economy is faced with any hint of an economic downturn. The squirrel suspects that the medium user at that point in time is more likely to be a pot-smoking trustafarian and his thunder-buddy bear called Ted ordering out for emergency ice cream and Cheerios when the 3am munchies hit. In sum, the squirrel has done enough work to be fairly sure that he'll not be chasing shares in the Instacart IPO. But the work has not been wasted. If we were struggling to get comfortable with Instacart having a $13 billion valuation, the idea of DoorDash having a market cap of over $30 billion is borderline risible. Furthermore, its 100% run-up off its share price lows earlier this year looks completely unwarranted to us. As such, this week's Acorn trade will be a dark side number on DoorDash. It should hit your inboxes in the next day or two, day or two once I've figured out a way of structuring it so that I don't get my hand blown off by a short squeeze from the Wall Street 
Betts crowd on Reddit. That's it for this week on the pod. Um, in the written report this week, we'll also, we also have a full Acorn review and portfolio update covering bonds, a lot of ags, and of course, energy and uranium. Thanks for listening. Please find out more about the squirrel at blindsquirrelmacro.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or X at Squirrel Macro. And please leave us a rating and review in your app. And I hope to catch you here again next week. Squirrel out.